Section 13 of Reflections on the Revolution in France. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reflections on the Revolution in France and on the proceedings in certain societies in London relative to that event in a letter intended to have been sent to a gentleman in Paris, 1790, by Edmund Burke. Section 13 the wealth of a country is another and no contemptible standard by which we may judge whether on the whole a government be protecting or destructive france far exceeds england in the multitude of her people but i apprehend that her comparative wealth is much inferior to ours that it is not so equal in the distribution nor so ready in the circulation i believe the difference in the form of the two governments to be amongst the causes of this advantage on the side of england i speak of england not of the whole british dominions which if compared with those of france will in some degree weaken the comparative rate of wealth upon our side but that wealth which will not endure a comparison with the riches of england may constitute a very respectable degree of opulence m necker's book published in seventeen eighty five contains an accurate and interesting collection of facts relative to public economy and to political arithmetic and his speculations on the subject are in general wise and liberal in that work he gives an idea of the state of france very remote from the portrait of a country whose government was a perfect grievance an absolute evil admitting no cure but through the violent and uncertain remedy of a total revolution he affirms that from the year seventeen twenty six to the year seventeen eighty four there was coined at the mint of france in the species of gold and silver to the amount of about one hundred millions of pounds sterling it is impossible that m necker should be mistaken in the amount of the bullion which has been coined in the mint it is a matter of official record the reasonings of this able financier concerning the quantity of gold and silver which remained for circulation when he wrote in seventeen eighty five that is about four years before the deposition and imprisonment of the french king are not of equal certainty but they are laid on grounds so apparently solid that it is not easy to refuse a considerable degree of assent to his calculation he calculates the numeraire or what we call specie then actually existing in france at about eighty-eight millions of the same english money a great accumulation of wealth for one country large as that country is m necker was so far from considering this influx of wealth as likely to cease when he wrote in seventeen eighty five that he presumes upon a future annual increase of two per cent upon the money brought into france during the periods from which he computed some adequate cause must have originally introduced all the money coined at its mint into that kingdom and some cause as operative must have kept at home or returned into its bosom such a vast flood of treasure as m necker calculates to remain for domestic circulation suppose any reasonable deductions from m necker's computation the remainder must still amount to an immense sum causes thus powerful to acquire and to retain cannot be found in discouraged industry insecure property and a positively destructive government indeed when i consider the face of the kingdom of france the multitude and opulence of her cities the useful magnificence of her spacious high roads and bridges 
the opportunity of her artificial canals and navigations opening the conveniences of maritime communication through a solid continent of so immense an extent when i turn my eyes to the stupendous works of her ports and harbors and to her whole naval apparatus whether for war or trade when i bring before my view the number of her fortifications constructed with so bold and masterly a skill and made and maintained at so prodigious a charge presenting an armed front and impenetrable barrier to her enemies upon every side when i recollect how very small a part of that extensive region is without cultivation and to what complete perfection the culture of many of the best productions of the earth have been brought in france when i reflect on the excellence of her manufactures and fabrics second to none but ours and in some particulars not second when i contemplate the grand foundations of charity public and private when i survey the state of all the arts that beautify and polish life when i reckon the men she has bled for extending her fame in war her able statesmen the multitude of her profound lawyers and theologians her philosophers her critics her historians and antiquaries her poets and her orators sacred and profane i behold in all this something which awes and commands the imagination which checks the mind on the brink of precipitate and indiscriminate censure and which demands that we should very seriously examine what and how great are the latent vices that could authorize us at once to level so spacious a fabric with the ground i do not recognize in this view of things the despotism of turkey nor do i discern the character of a government that has been on the whole so oppressive or so corrupt or so negligent as to be utterly unfit for all reformation i must think such a government well deserved to have its excellences heightened its faults corrected and its capacities improved into a british constitution whoever has examined into the proceedings of that deposed government for several years back cannot fail to have observed amidst the inconstancy and fluctuation natural to courts an earnest endeavor towards the prosperity and improvement of the country he must admit that it had long been employed in some instances wholly to remove in many considerably to correct the abusive practices and usages that had prevailed in the state and that even the unlimited power of the sovereign over the persons of his subjects inconsistent as undoubtedly it was with law and liberty had yet been every day growing more mitigated in the exercise so far from refusing itself to reformation that government was open with a censurable degree of facility to all sorts of projects and projectors on the subject rather too much countenance was given to the spirit of innovation which soon was turned against those who fostered it and ended in their ruin it is but cold and no very flattering justice to that fallen monarchy to say that for many years it trespassed more by levity and want of judgment in several of its schemes than from any defect in diligence or in public spirit to compare the government of france for the last fifteen or sixteen years with wise and well-constituted establishments during that or during any period is not to act with fairness but if in point of prodigality in the expenditure of money or in point of rigor in the exercise of power it be compared with any of the former reigns 
i believe candid judges will give little credit to the good intentions of those who dwell perpetually on the donation to favorites or on the expenses of the court or on the horrors of the bastille in the reign of louis the sixteenth footnote the world is obliged to m de calonne for the pains he has taken to refute the scandalous exaggerations relative to some of the royal expenses and to detect the fallacious account given of pensions for the wicked purpose of provoking the populace to all sorts of crimes End of footnote. whether the system if it deserves such a name now built on the ruins of that ancient monarchy will be able to give a better account of the population and wealth of the country which it has taken under its care is a matter very doubtful instead of improving by the change i apprehend that a long series of years must be told before it can recover in any degree the effects of this philosophic revolution and before the nation can be replaced on its former footing if dr price should think fit a few years hence to favor us with an estimate of the population of france he will hardly be able to make up his tale of thirty millions of souls as computed in seventeen eighty nine or the assembly's computation of twenty-six millions of that year or even m necker's twenty-five millions in seventeen eighty i hear that there are considerable emigrations from france and that many quitting that voluptuous climate and that seductive circean liberty have taken refuge in the frozen regions and under the british despotism of canada in the present disappearance of coin no person could think it the same country in which the present minister of the finances has been able to discover fourscore millions sterling in specie from its general aspect one would conclude that it had been for some time past under the special direction of the learned academicians of laputa and balnabari footnote see gulliver's travels for the idea of countries governed by philosophers End of footnote. already the population of paris has so declined that m necker stated to the national assembly the provision to be made for its subsistence at a fifth less than what had formerly been found requisite footnote m de calonne states the falling off of the population of paris as far more considerable and it may be so since the period of m necker's calculation End of footnote. it is said and i have never heard it contradicted that a hundred thousand people are out of employment in that city though it is become the seat of the imprisoned court and national assembly nothing i am credibly informed can exceed the shocking and disgusting spectacle of mendicancy displayed in that capital indeed the votes of the national assembly leave no doubt of the fact they have lately appointed a standing committee of mendicancy they are contriving at once a vigorous police on this subject and for the first time the imposition of a tax to maintain the poor for whose present relief great sums appear on the face of the public accounts of the year footnote account entries of m necker amounts specified in livre travaux de charité pour subvenir au manque de travail à paris et dans les provinces three million eight hundred sixty six thousand nine hundred twenty destruction de vagabondage et de la mendicité one million six hundred seventy one thousand four hundred seventeen prime pour l'importation de grains 
five million six hundred seventy one thousand nine hundred seven dépenses relatives aux subsistances déductions faites des recouvrements qui ont eu lieu thirty nine million eight hundred seventy one thousand seven hundred ninety total fifty one million eighty two thousand thirty four when i sent this book to the press i entertained some doubt concerning the nature and extent of the last article in the above accounts which is only under a general head without any detail since then i have seen m de calonne's work i must think it a great loss to me that i had not that advantage earlier m de calonne thinks this article to be on account of general subsistence but as he is not able to comprehend how so great a loss as upwards of one million six hundred and sixty one thousand pounds sterling could be sustained on the difference between the price and the sale of grain he seems to attribute this enormous head of charge to secret expenses of the revolution i cannot say anything positively on that subject the reader is capable of judging by the aggregate of these immense charges on the state and condition of france and the system of public economy adopted in that nation these articles of account produced no inquiry or discussion in the national assembly End of footnote. in the meantime the leaders of the legislative clubs and coffee-houses are intoxicated with admiration at their own wisdom and ability they speak with the most sovereign contempt of the rest of the world they told the people to comfort them in the rags with which they have clothed them that they are a nation of philosophers and sometimes by all the arts of quackish parade by show tumult and bustle sometimes by the alarms of plots and invasions they attempt to drown the cries of indigence and to divert the eyes of the observer from the ruin and wretchedness of the state a brave people will certainly prefer liberty accompanied with a virtuous poverty to a depraved and wealthy servitude but before the price of comfort and opulence is paid one ought to be pretty sure it is real liberty which is purchased and that she is to be purchased at no other price i shall always however consider that liberty as very equivocal in her appearance which has not wisdom and justice for her companions and does not lead prosperity and plenty in her train the advocates for this revolution not satisfied with exaggerating the vices of their ancient government strike at the fame of their country itself by painting almost all that could have attracted the attention of strangers i mean their nobility and their clergy as objects of horror if this were only a libel there had not been much in it but it has practical consequences had your nobility and gentry who formed the great body of your landed men and the whole of your military officers resembled those of germany at the period when the hans towns were necessitated to confederate against the nobles in defence of their property had they been like the orsini and vitali in italy who used to sally from their fortified dens to rob the trader and traveller had they been such as the marmelukes in egypt or the nayers on the coast of malabar i do admit that too critical an inquiry might not be advisable into the means of freeing the world from such a nuisance the statues of equity and mercy might be veiled for a moment the tenderest minds confounded with the dreadful exigence in which morality submits to the suspension of its own rules 
in favor of its own principles might turn aside whilst fraud and violence were accomplishing the destruction of a pretended nobility which disgraced whilst it persecuted human nature the persons most abhorrent from blood and treason and arbitrary confiscation might remain silent spectators to this civil war between the vices but did the privileged nobility who met under the king's precept at versailles in seventeen eighty nine or their constituents deserve to be looked on as the nayers or marmalukes of this age or as the orsini and vitelli of ancient times if i had then asked the question i should have passed for a madman what have they since done that they were to be driven into exile that their persons should be hunted about mangled and tortured their families dispersed their houses laid in ashes and that their order should be abolished and the memory of it if possible extinguished by ordaining them to change the very names by which they were usually known read their instructions to their representatives they breathe the spirit of liberty as warmly and they recommend reformation as strongly as any other order their privileges relative to contribution were voluntarily surrendered as the king from the beginning surrendered all pretense to a right of taxation upon a free constitution there was but one opinion in france the absolute monarchy was at an end it breathed its last without a groan without struggle without convulsion all the struggle all the dissension arose afterwards upon the preference of a despotic democracy to a government of reciprocal control the triumph of the victorious party was over the principles of a british constitution i have observed the affectation which for many years past has prevailed in paris even to a degree perfectly childish of idolizing the memory of your henry the fourth if anything could put any one out of humor with that ornament to the kingly character it would be this overdone style of insidious panegyric the persons who have worked this engine the most busily are those who have ended their panegyrics in dethroning his successor and descendant a man as good-natured at the least as henry the fourth altogether as fond of his people and who has done infinitely more to correct the ancient vices of the state than that great monarch did or we are sure he ever meant to do well it is for his panegyrists that they have not him to deal with for henry of navarre was a resolute active and politic prince he possessed indeed great humanity and mildness but an humanity and mildness that never stood in the way of his interests he never sought to be loved without putting himself first in a condition to be feared he used soft language with determined conduct he asserted and maintained his authority in the gross and distributed his acts of concession only in the detail he spent the income of his prerogative nobly but he took care not to break in upon the capital never abandoning for a moment any of the claims which he made under the fundamental laws nor sparing to shed the blood of those who opposed him often in the field sometimes upon the scaffold because he knew how to make his virtues respected by the ungrateful he has merited the praises of those whom if they had lived in his time he would have shut up in the bastille and brought to punishment along with the regicides whom he hanged after he had famished paris into surrender if these panegyrists are in earnest in their admiration of henry the fourth 
they must remember that they cannot think more highly of him than he did of the noblesse of france whose virtue honor courage patriotism and loyalty were his constant theme but the nobility of france are degenerated since the days of henry the fourth this is possible but it is more than i can believe to be true in any great degree i do not pretend to know france as correctly as some others but i have endeavored through my whole life to make myself acquainted with human nature otherwise i should be unfit to take even my humble part in the service of mankind in that study i could not pass by a vast portion of our nature as it appeared modified in a country but twenty-four miles from the shore of this island on my best observation compared with my best inquiries i found your nobility for the greater part composed of men of a high spirit and of a delicate sense of honour both with regard to themselves individually and with regard to their whole corps over whom they kept beyond what is common in other countries a censorial eye they were tolerably well-bred very officious humane and hospitable in their conversation frank and open with a good military tone and reasonably tinctured with literature particularly of the authors in their own language many had pretensions far above this description i speak of those who were generally met with as to their behaviour to the inferior classes they appeared to me to comport themselves towards them with good nature and with something more nearly approaching to familiarity than is generally practised with us in the intercourse between the higher and lower ranks of life to strike any person even in the most abject condition was a thing in a manner unknown and would be highly disgraceful instances of other ill-treatment of the humble part of the community were rare and as to attacks made upon the property or the personal liberty of the commons i never heard of any whatsoever from them nor whilst the laws were in vigour under the ancient government would such tyranny in subjects have been permitted as men of landed estates i had no fault to find with their conduct though much to reprehend and much to wish changed in many of the old tenures where the letting of their land was by rent i could not discover that their agreements with their farmers were oppressive nor when they were in partnership with a farmer as often was the case have i heard that they had taken the lion's share the proportions seemed not inequitable there might be exceptions but certainly they were exceptions only i have no reason to believe that in these respects the landed noblesse of france were worse than the landed gentry of this country certainly in no respect more vexatious than the landholders not noble of their own nation in cities the nobility had no manner of power in the country very little you know sir that much of the civil government and the police in the most essential parts was not in the hands of that nobility which presents itself first to our consideration the revenue the system and collection of which were the most grievous parts of the french government was not administered by the men of the sword nor were they answerable for the vices of its principal or the vexations where any such existed in its management denying as i am well warranted to do that the nobility had any considerable share in the oppression of the people in cases in which real oppression existed i am ready to admit that they were not without considerable faults and errors a foolish imitation of the worst part of the manners of england which impaired their natural character 
without substituting in its place what perhaps they meant to copy, has certainly rendered them worse than formerly they were. Habitual dissoluteness of manners, continued beyond the pardonable period of life, was more common amongst them than it is with us, and it reigned with the less hope of remedy, though possibly with something of less mischief, by being covered with more exterior decorum. They countenance too much that licentious philosophy which has helped to bring on their ruin. There was another error amongst them more fatal. Those of the commons who approached to or exceeded many of the nobility in point of wealth were not fully admitted to the rank and estimation which wealth, in reason and good policy, ought to bestow in every country, though I think not equally with that of other nobility. The two kinds of aristocracy were too punctiliously kept asunder, less so, however, than in Germany and some other nations. This separation, as I have already taken the liberty of suggesting to you, I conceive to be one principal cause of the destruction of the old nobility. The military, particularly, was too exclusively reserved for men of family. But, after all, this was an error of opinion, which a conflicting opinion would have rectified. A permanent assembly, in which the commons had their share of power, would soon abolish whatever was too invidious and insulting in these distinctions and even the faults in the morals of the nobility would have been probably corrected by the greater varieties of occupation and pursuit to which a constitution by orders would have given rise all this violent cry against the nobility i take to be a mere work of art to be honoured and even privileged by the laws opinions and inveterate usages of our country growing out of the prejudice of ages has nothing to provoke horror and indignation in any man. Even to be too tenacious of those privileges is not absolutely a crime. The strong struggle in every individual to preserve possession of what he has found to belong to him, and to distinguish him, is one of the securities against injustice and despotism implanted in our nature. It operates as an instinct to secure property and to preserve communities in a settled state. What is there to shock in this? Nobility is a graceful ornament to the civil order. It is the Corinthian capital of polished society. Omnes boni nobilitate semper favemus, was the saying of a wise and good man. It is indeed one sign of a liberal and benevolent mind to incline to it with some sort of partial propensity. He feels no ennobling principle in his own heart who wishes to level all the artificial institutions which have been adopted for giving a body to opinion and permanence to fugitive esteem. It is a sour, malignant, envious disposition, without taste for the reality, or for any image or representation of virtue, that sees with joy the unmerited fall of what had long nourished in splendor and in honor. I do not like to see anything destroyed, any void produced in society, any ruin on the face of the land it was therefore with no disappointment or dissatisfaction that my inquiries and observations did not present to me any incorrigible vices in the noblesse of france or any abuse which could not be removed by a reform very short of abolition your noblesse did not deserve punishment but to degrade is to punish it was with the same satisfaction i found that the result of my inquiry concerning your clergy 
was not dissimilar it is no soothing news to my ears that great bodies of men are incurably corrupt it is not with much credulity i listen to any when they speak evil of those whom they are going to plunder i rather suspect that vices are feigned or exaggerated when profit is looked for in their punishment an enemy is a bad witness a robber is a worse vices and abuses there were undoubtedly in that order and must be it was an old establishment and not frequently revised but i saw no crimes in the individuals that merited confiscation of their substance nor those cruel insults and degradations and that unnatural persecution which have been substituted in the place of meliorating regulation if there had been any just cause for this new religion's persecution the atheistic libelers who act as trumpeters to animate the populace to plunder do not love anybody so much as not to dwell with complacence on the vices of the existing clergy this they have not done they find themselves obliged to rake into the histories of former ages which they have ransacked with a malignant and profligate industry for every instance of oppression and persecution which has been made by that body or in its favour in order to justify upon very iniquitous because very illogical principles of retaliation their own persecutions and their own cruelties after destroying all other genealogies and family distinctions they invent a sort of pedigree of crimes it is not very just to chastise men for the offences of their natural ancestors but to take the fiction of ancestry in a corporate succession as a ground for punishing men who have no relation to guilty acts except in names and general descriptions is a sort of refinement in injustice belonging to the philosophy of this enlightened age the assembly punishes men many if not most of whom abhor the violent conduct of ecclesiastics in former times as much as their present persecutors can do and who would be as loud and as strong in the expression of that sense if they were not well aware of the purposes for which all this declamation is employed corporate bodies are immortal for the good of the members but not for their punishment nations themselves are such corporations as well might we in england think of waging inexpiable war upon all frenchmen for the evils which they have brought upon us in the several periods of our mutual hostilities you might on your part think yourselves justified in falling upon all englishmen on account of the unparalleled calamities brought upon the people of france by the unjust invasions of our henrys and our edwards indeed we should be mutually justified in this exterminatory war upon each other full as much as you are in the unprovoked persecution of your present countrymen on account of the conduct of men of the same name in other times we do not draw the moral lessons we might from history on the contrary without care it may be used to vitiate our minds and to destroy our happiness in history a great volume is unrolled for our instruction drawing the materials of future wisdom from the past errors and infirmities of mankind it may in the perversion serve for a magazine furnishing offensive and defensive weapons for parties in church and state and supplying the means of keeping alive or reviving dissensions and animosities and adding fuel to civil fury history consists for the greater part of the miseries brought upon the world by pride 
ambition, avarice, revenge, lust, sedition, hypocrisy, ungoverned zeal, and all the train of disorderly appetites which shake the public with the same troublous storms that toss the private state and render life unsweet. These vices are the causes of those storms. Religion, morals, laws, prerogatives, privileges, liberties, rights of men are the pretexts. The pretexts are always found in some specious appearance of a real good. You would not secure men from tyranny and sedition by rooting out of the mind the principles to which these fraudulent pretexts apply. If you did, you would root out everything that is valuable in the human breast. As these are the pretexts, so the ordinary actors and instruments in great public evils are kings, priests, magistrates, senates, parliaments, national assemblies, judges, and captains. You would not cure the evil by resolving that there should be no more monarchs, nor ministers of state, nor of the gospel, no interpreters of law, no general officers, no public councils. You might change the names. The things in some shape must remain. A certain quantum of power must always exist in the community, in some hands, and under some appellation. Wise men will apply their remedies to vices, not to names, to the causes of evil which are permanent, not to the occasional organs by which they act, and the transitory modes in which they appear. Otherwise you will be wise historically, a fool in practice. Seldom have two ages the same fashion in their pretexts, and the same modes of mischief. Wickedness is a little more inventive. Whilst you are discussing fashion, the fashion is gone by. The very same vice assumes a new body, the spirit transmigrates, and, far from losing its principle of life by the change of its appearance, it is renovated in its new organs with the fresh vigor of a juvenile activity. It walks abroad, it continues its ravages, whilst you are gibbeting the carcass or demolishing the tomb. You are terrifying yourselves with ghosts and apparitions, whilst your house is the haunt of robbers. It is thus with all those who, attending only to the shell and husk of history, think they are waging war with intolerance, pride, and cruelty, whilst, under color of abhorring the ill principles of antiquated parties, they are authorizing and feeding the same odious vices, in different factions, and perhaps in worse. Your citizens of Paris formerly had lent themselves as the ready instruments to slaughter the followers of Calvin, at the famous massacre of St. Bartholomew. What should we say to those who could think of retaliating on the Parisians of this day the abominations and horrors of that time? They are, indeed, brought to abhor that massacre. Ferocious as they are, it is not difficult to make them dislike it, because the politicians and fashionable teachers have no interest in giving their passions exactly the same direction. Still, however, they find it in their interest to keep the same savage dispositions alive. It was but the other day that they caused this very massacre to be acted on the stage for the diversion of the descendants of those who committed it. In this tragic farce, they produced the Cardinal of Lorraine in his robes of function, ordering general slaughter. Was this spectacle intended to make the Parisians abhor persecution and loathe the effusion of blood? No, it was to teach them to persecute their own pastors. 
it was to excite them by raising a disgust and horror of their clergy to an alacrity in hunting down to destruction an order which if it ought to exist at all ought to exist not only in safety but in reverence it was to stimulate their cannibal appetites which one would think had been gorged sufficiently by variety and seasoning and to quicken them to an alertness in new murders and massacres if it should suit the purpose of the guises of the day an assembly in which sat a multitude of priests and prelates was obliged to suffer this indignity at its door the author was not sent to the galleys nor the players to the house of correction not long after this exhibition those players came forward to the assembly to claim the rights of that very religion which they had dared to expose and to show their prostituted faces in the senate whilst the archbishop of paris whose function was known to his people only by his prayers and benedictions and his wealth only by alms is forced to abandon his house and to fly from his flock as from ravenous wolves because truly in the sixteenth century the cardinal of lorraine was a rebel and a murderer footnote this is on a supposition of the truth of this story but he was not in france at the time one name serves as well as another End of footnote such is the effect of the perversion of history by those who for the same nefarious purposes have perverted every other part of learning but those who will stand upon that elevation of reason which places centuries under our eyes and brings things to the true point of comparison which obscures little names and effaces the colors of little parties and to which nothing can ascend but the spirit and moral quality of human actions will say to the teachers of the palais royal the cardinal of lorraine was the murderer of the sixteenth century you have the glory of being the murderers in the eighteenth and this is the only difference between you but history in the nineteenth century better understood and better employed will i trust teach a civilized posterity to abhor the misdeeds of both these barbarous ages it will teach future priests and magistrates not to retaliate upon the speculative and inactive atheists of future times the enormities committed by the present practical zealots and furious fanatics of that wretched error which in its quiescent state is more than punished whenever it is embraced it will teach posterity not to make war upon either religion or philosophy for the abuse which the hypocrites of both have made of the two most valuable blessings conferred upon us by the bounty of the universal patron who in all things eminently favors and protects the race of man end of section thirteen